It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hey, everyone. I want to welcome you, Matt Hausman, your host for Smart Money Questions Podcast. And today I am excited. We have a guest here that she's got a lot of great information that she's going to go over with us. Her name is Arlene Kogan. She's out of Portland, Oregon. She's actually out there right now. So as we're recording, she's three hours behind. We were talking about the difference in weather. And she is a philanthropic leadership consultant. And what we're going to talk about today, and she's going to educate us, is how we can do and incorporate thoughtful giving into our overall financial plan. So with that, I want to go ahead and welcome in Arlene. How are you today? Matt, I am great. And it's a pleasure to be one of the few who get to be interviewed for your awesome (laughs) podcast. Well, thank you. Hopefully I can actually be a good interviewer today. But what, what I'd like for when we think about thoughtful giving and what you do as a philanthropic consultant is Help us understand, first of all, where you came from and how you got to where you are today. I'd be delighted to share that with you, Matt. I am classically trained as a certified financial planner, and I began on Wall Street working for all the large major institutions. And I helped people make money hand over fist and preserve their money And I had a blast doing it. I mean, we're talking about the 80s on Wall Street. Oh, wow. But then a few things happened. One, I was a woman on Wall Street and unfortunately experienced the glass ceiling, sexual harassment, and wage discrimination, and had two daughters. And having two daughters kind of made me bring things into focus and say, I don't want my girls to deal with this type of situation. So what can I do differently? And my husband and I moved from the East Coast to Portland, where we are now. One, cost of living. Two, quality of life. Three, lifestyle. And I stayed home with my daughters for a few years and then saw a career coach because, gosh darn, I wasn't going to go into that banking and financial services again, even though I love the industry and really helped a lot of people in the trust and investment world. Matt, when I saw this career coach, everything came up, philanthropy and benevolence. And I looked at her and I said, how do you make money at that? You know, after Wall Street, everything I knew about nonprofit, which I'm not sure if you have these same conceptions in your mind, was you are passionate about what you do, but they don't pay you anything. So it took me five years to find a position with the Oregon Community Foundation. Wow, five years. The Oregon Community Foundation happens to be the ninth largest community foundation in the country. So during that time, I really got to see the giving side of things. And I found that people didn't know how to give and advisors didn't know how to educate them to give. So after nine years of having a dream job, I decided to go out on my own 
and help people and educate people. And I wrote a book, Give to Live, Make a Charitable Gift You Never Imagined. Which, by the way, I have read, and it's really good because you incorporate stories into that, but you also talk about the various strategies on how to do exactly what you said, give something you never thought you could give. Yeah, it was really a combination of my family's story of giving and just breaking giving down into manageable pieces. I realized that so many people, when I would sit with them at the community foundation, didn't think it was possible that they could give either during their life or through their estate plan. But when I broke it down and explained the basic tools and techniques and strategies, people were delighted and shocked at being able to include philanthropy into their plan. So, you know, not that I have a big goal here, but I want to change the world through leadership and philanthropy. And while I love the Oregon Community Foundation, it was too small because it was only focused on Oregon. And like I said, I want to change the world. So I kind of had to go out on my own to help educate people. Well, you know, I think a lot of times what people, when they think about giving or philanthropy or the big, you know, nonprofit organizations, many times they might not think that they can incorporate that into what their retirement is going to look like. You know, many times when I speak to people and we're doing planning or they might be two or three years away from retirement, the idea is their biggest fear is running out of money. So, you know, obviously that's going to be, they want to get past that hurdle, but then how can they then look at the idea of going ahead and giving while they're still living instead of after they're gone? Yeah. So giving while you're living, and this is one of the things I like to teach advisors and you're not like this, but too many advisors just focus on the the financial and tax aspect of planning. And I like to look at planning a little bit more holistic, where you have the personal side, taking care of yourself, your family, finding joy in life. You have that financial side in terms of reducing taxes, eliminating taxes, finding and growing your money. And then you have your legacy side. What are the values and life lessons and stories are you passing on to the next generation? And when you look at that holistically, incorporating philanthropy into your life actually provides real joy. And there's real hard science out there. Do you mind if I share a few stories with you? No, I'm hoping you share the one that we spoke about earlier because I found that very fascinating. Yeah. So Michael Norton, an associate business professor at Harvard, partnered with Elizabeth Dunn, who's an associate professor up in the University of British Columbia. And what they did is they did a study on happiness and they found participants up at the college and asked the participants how they were feeling in terms of joy, happiness. And then they were given one of two envelopes. One envelope had $5, the other envelope had $20. Those receiving the $5 envelope had a note inside saying, go spend it on yourself. And the ones with $20 were told to spend the money on other people. Well, at the end of the day, they called all the participants and asked, how are you feeling? 
And those with $5 had no change in how they were feeling. But the people who spent $20 on other people were happier. And the interesting part about it is Gallup, who does all those world surveys, did a similar study in over 136 countries with over 200,000 people. And the people were asked about charitable giving and happiness. And those who gave recently to charity displayed much more happiness. So Michael Norton, who has a fabulous TED Talk on how to buy happiness, came up with a great saying. If you think money can't buy you happiness, you're not spending it right. Stop spending it on yourself and spend it on other people instead. Yeah, and that's so, I, I saw that one. We'll make sure to have a link on the podcast page for that. That was a I think it was only like ten or eleven minutes, the one I saw, yeah. and it was really cool. And he you know, the interesting thing that he spoke about there, to your point, they took and it wasn't just individuals they work with, but then they started working with teams of people in the same mm-hmm. scenario. And one of the things I thought was so interesting in that talk is he talked about the return on investment. So we can actually talk about right now how much giving can make us feel better. But then he actually went and, okay, let's put some numbers to this. And the teams that, uh, and some of these were sales teams. It was also uh, athletic teams. The return on investment was actually negative when they spent the money only on themselves compared to in the other situation, they had to spend the money on one of their team members. And those went up five times. The return was, if I remember right, it was like 15 euro. And if they spent it on themselves, they only saw four and a half euro. On the ones that spent it on other team members, it was 15 to 78 euros. So not only are we feeling better, but in that case, we're actually seeing a huge return in overall production. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. It's really remarkable how generosity of spirit and focusing on others helps us in so many areas in our life. Absolutely. And so when you talk about the different areas of planning and we we talk about legacy, help us understand what are the strategies that someone would want to consider in being able to give while they're living? So being able to give while you're living, some basic strategies of using, you know, cash, marketable securities, you can donate real estate. But when you look at it personally, what's in it for you, we all might not be able to afford those large gifts during our lifetime. But there's some great strategies called charitable trusts and charitable gift annuities that allow you to make a gift during your life that has the following advantages. Let's say you have a piece of real estate, a a second home, and you donate that second home. First, you'll get an immediate income tax reduction. You defer any capital gains that you have. You can get an income stream based on your life expectancy, and ultimately the remainder will go to charity. So that is like the trifecta win. It helps you personally, financially, and helps the charity near and dear to your heart. And so in a situation like that, how is the money getting to the charity while they're still living? Is it, are they also dispersing funds to them while you're living? And is that the tax credit? No, that's actually the charity gets the the gift at the end. Gotcha. But you're, you're getting that joy. Otherwise, you, 
we're talking about, you know, gifting stocks and bonds and property directly to a charity. I always recommend people speak with their advisor to ensure they're doing it in a financially sound way. That's the last chapter in my book, how to find and work with an advisor who is thoughtful and wants to include charity. So one of the things that you spoke about in your book, and I speak to clients about this, but I'm going to actually ask you to go a little more into detail because like you do in the book is we talk so much about beneficiary designations and help everyone understand there are some really good advantages in having a charity mentioned on qualified retirement account type money, IRA, 401k type money, and explain how that works compared to, let's say, if their child is going to inherit that IRA. Yeah. Your retirement plans, your 401ks, those individual retirement plans are the best assets to give to charity. And when you fill out your beneficiary designation form, which you have to do when you create an account, if you're going to your plan administrator at work and you're creating a 401k, it's in the documents. Who do you want to leave this money to when you are no longer here? And typically people will fill out their spouse and then the contingent beneficiary will be their children. But the thing about retirement accounts is that they're kind of double taxed in an estate. And what I mean by that is the value of your retirement account is included in your overall assets when we're looking at the possibility of estate taxes. Now, at the federal level, we're over $5 million an individual, but some states out there still have an inheritance tax, for example, Oregon does, where at a million dollars, they're taxing your estate. So they're adding up every retirement plan, life insurance, the value of your house, any other assets you have, so they can tax you on it. So that's tax number one. Tax number two happens when that beneficiary, your spouse or your child receives a distribution from the retirement account, they have to pay income tax on it, ordinary income tax. So in order to avoid that, your retirement account is the best asset to leave to charity. And you could do it partially. For example, one thing I love to share with people is how to endow an annual gift. Let's say you give $100 a year to your church, your synagogue, whatever it is that cause is near and dear to your heart. Well, when you're gone, that organization will no longer receive that money unless you give them a gift through your state plan that you endow. And it's a simple formula, Matt. You take your annual gift I'm using $100 because the math is easy. It's still morning in Oregon. (laughs) (laughs) And you you multiply that by 20. So 100 times 20 is $2,000. If you put a $2,000 beneficiary designation in your retirement account to the charity of your choice with that tax identification number saying it's an endowment, when managed properly, that organization is going to pay off, get $100 a year in perpetuity to support that cause you care about. And that probably, that $2,000 gift, 
probably won't affect your the inheritance of the person who's receiving it. And they'll be thrilled that you had the joy of giving that through your estate plan. So it's a great asset, you know, everything else people aren't going to be taxed on, but that is those retirement plans are tricky. And it always shocks me when someone's like, oh yeah, that's going to my family, but I have all these specific requests to go to charity. And and I'm like, wait a second, that is not tax efficient. And we want to be tax efficient and financially sound while accomplishing our personal goals. Yeah, exactly. And just to let you know, in PA, we have an inheritance tax here as well. When it goes to the spouse, uh, spouses are all assets are exempt. But when it goes to the next generation, there is no exempted amount. From dollar one, it's four and a half percent. And wow. currently, the only asset that is not taxed is a life insurance proceed. So when you're exactly like what you were talking about, we encourage clients if they have charitable interests, that we want to use those type of accounts to be most tax efficient. So that's a great point that you point out in the book and and really understanding how the accounts are tax characterized and what's going to be the most efficient as to accomplishing the goals and dreams that you have. I do want to talk about one other thing that you you mentioned in here, and that is uh, the charitable trust the charitable remainder trust and helping people understand how if they have a fear of money of running out of money is that this is something that they can still have that protection while at the same time being able to incorporate a charity of their choice to fulfill their giving yeah charitable trusts are really neat vehicles because it benefits you during your lifetime and a charity at the end of your life. Now with the charitable trust, you actually go see an attorney and you draft a document where you decide who's going to be the trustee, who's going to manage the money, who the beneficiaries are, whether it be you or a sick loved one, and what the ultimate charities are that receive the money. So there's a lot of flexibility in a charitable trust. And it gives you the opportunity to accomplish some personal goals, which could be taking care of a loved one, a family member, as well as your financial goals. In this charitable vehicle, once you take your asset, whether it be appreciated stock, a piece of property, business interest, when you put it in the charitable trust, you defer all of your capital gains to the payout and you get an immediate tax deduction for the remainder interest. So there's this complicated IRS calculation which says, and I'm making up numbers here and I'm using round numbers, we're going to put $100,000 in this charitable trust. But based on your life expectancy, you're going to receive a distribution cash flow of $40,000 during your life. So the tax deductible part that's immediate is going to be that remainder interest, that $60,000 that would go to the charity. So you get an immediate income tax deduction, you get an income stream for your life, the remainder goes to charity, you defer your long-term capital gains. It is a fabulous vehicle because there is this extra layer of 
having the trust drafted and you have to uh, file annual tax returns, the minimum amount to do a charitable trust is going to be at least $100,000. But they can be $100 million, these charitable trusts. And you can add more assets and you can put in unusual assets. They're exciting vehicles to work with. So for compliance reasons, obviously, we have to say, make sure that you speak to a licensed attorney. And I always encourage clients that, you know, one of the things that we talk to them about, making sure their legal documents are up to date and drafted and accomplishing what it is they want them to accomplish. And I think this is a great conversation they should have with the attorney because, correct me if I'm wrong, but we don't need to put all of our assets into this. We can pick and choose the assets that we would put into there. Correct. This is just a piece of your investment portfolio, this charitable trust. And most people wouldn't put all of their assets in, but we can pick and choose which ones are going to be most tax efficient by, yes, working with your attorney and your financial advisor to determine what's going to be the most tax efficient for you. Gotcha. And one of the other things that, and I want to jump right into this, that you talk about in the book is multi-generational gifting. So can you help us understand what that is? Oh, this is the best part of gifting is exactly what it sounds like. It's having great grandpa, grandpa, papa, and, you know, the kids all involved in giving where they come together and determine common values and organizations to support. You know, these are things that we can do that the Rockefellers have done for years. And a great tool to do that in is a donor advised fund. It's a mini private foundation. And I worked at a community foundation. I'm a big proponent of community foundations, but you can set up this donor advised fund and the community foundation can help you come together and find out your values and what causes you want to support. And if they won't do it, you know, you can call me because I love watching all the generations get together and listen. Sometimes it's even just encouraging at Thanksgiving or the holidays to give each of the grandchildren $10, $100, whatever's in your price range. What organization do you want to support? You ask them at Thanksgiving and then around the holidays, they come back with a brochure or print off from the website and they get to present why that organization is important. And it starts to have those intergenerational conversations and joy shared amongst all the generations. It's it's so beautiful. I mean, when my mother passed away, we created a donor advised fund with part of the inheritance and every year my girls my husband and I would get together and we decide where we want to give and how to give and I tell you my kids teach me a lot every year I'm learning something from them on how to give and where to give brings us closer together it's magnificent I want to make sure our listeners understand this is you spoke about the Rockefellers have been doing this but we don't have to be as wealthy as the Rockefellers to set this type of giving and incorporating all of the family members into that, correct? Correct. I mean, you could create donor advised funds with $5,000 and it goes up from there. So it's real attainable for 
not only multimillionaires, but people who are mass affluent or of modest means. You can do this. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, one of the things that we did with our kids uh, when they were young is during the holidays, we would go out and we supported Toys for Tots. And we would go out and, but we would encourage them. It was kind of like a 401k match, right? Whatever you're going to go out and spend your own money on, we would tell them. And whatever toy you're going to buy, we're going to double that. And then that way, when we go and we can give these toys away, so they got involved in using their own funds and then experiencing the benefit of giving. And then we were able to show them there's other incentives as well that you end up receiving when you give, which goes back to what Michael was talking about in the study that they did. By the way, I don't remember in the uh, TED Talk, how long did did that study take? Was that over a couple-year period of time? I Honestly, I don't know. Because the reason I ask is because, you know, even if, if it was a shorter period of time or a longer period of time, I really think this is universal. It's been around forever and it's going to be around indefinite. There's hard science about it. Dr. George Mall, who's a neuroscientist with the Dior Institute in Rio de Janeiro, he actually did MRI, magnetic resonant imaging scans of the brain to see which aspect of the brain is activated when people give money away. And what he found out that the prefrontal cortex is stimulated. And the importance of that is that the prefrontal cortex is also stimulated when you have good food and great sex. So So in other words, what she's saying is, is if you give, you will have great sex as well. (laughs) No, it's the same part of your brain that's activated, but we all know what great sex is. That's great. Oh, that's classic. Well, and that's what I mean. So even though that study might have only been over a short period of time, this is clearly, it's part of our DNA. And I think that we have to recognize that and embrace it and be able, like you describing the idea and the story of incorporating your kids into that giving. And I think that is so, so important because of the long lasting beneficial elements that will provide them not only for their lifetime, but then they can incorporate that with their kids. Exactly. It's beautiful to watch. It really brings families closer together. You have to listen more and you get to hear other people's perspective of of what's important. And sometimes They shift your perspective. And actually, with regards to that, at the end of the various chapters you have in the book, you have something there called the personal reflection. And help us understand, because I think that's extremely important when you're going through really many exercises that we need to be doing, but especially with this, help us understand how that benefits after each chapter that you're, the different stories and strategies that you're talking about. Yeah, personal reflection. Philanthropy is like a muscle and needs to be exercised and it changes over time. So what I found a lot at the Community Foundation, one of the board members came in and created a donor advice fund and then he sat down with me and some of our other colleagues and he was like he was a ceo of an insurance company so very you know blue suit white shirt organized strategic 
And he's like, okay, I want to get this fund under my belt and I want to set it up. And he's sitting there with his wife and their adult children. And I looked at him and I'm like, I would love to help you, but this is a process that you need to go through and you need to start identifying, you know, what are your core values that you want your philanthropy lens to look through? Is it about integrity, justice, freedom? You know, I don't know what your core values are or what your families are. So let's start with our values. Then it's who do you want involved? Is it just your giving? Is it your family? Is it the community? How are you making this decision? So what I did is the personal reflections are a lot of the questions I would work through over time so people could create their own philanthropic plan. And when I sat there with the board member, I mean, the meeting ended in like 10 minutes because I basically said, you're just beginning and this is going to be a process that evolves over time. And I think he was a little frustrated because he was so ready to get the job done. But what we learn in philanthropy is getting the job done, you're going to get one job done and then you're going to see another need or a different focus. And it's going to change over time. And my intent with the personal reflections are for people to start organizing their own thoughts and desires around philanthropy so they can begin their personal philanthropic plan. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that I always talk to clients about is the idea of the purpose of our money. You know, all of our money doesn't have the same purpose, so we don't invest it the same way. And that reflection is how you can come up with the purpose. And as you're talking about it, and it can expand and really make sure that you're going down the whole path to make sure that whatever it is that you're really wanting to accomplish, what's the true purpose for that money is able to be accomplished. And as you mm-hmm. said in the book, you know, to be able to give something that you never thought you could give. Yes. And everyone could do it. It's just a matter of being thoughtful, taking the time to include it and focus on it. Exactly. Well, I think that's a perfect segue into uh, thanking you for being here today. Everyone, I want to let you know her book, Give to Live, is actually on Amazon. We're going to make sure to have a link on our podcast page here. Arlene, what's the best way for people to get more information that you're always putting out there regarding this? Yeah, you know, if you go to my website, ArleneCogan.com, you can sign up to get occasional information. I have nothing that comes out daily or weekly, but it will highlight For example, your podcast to come out, but it will also, you can get things like uh, those personal reflections, link to my book, or see how you might want me to come speak to your group to educate them on how to make a charitable gift they never imagined. So speaking of that, I was just, I was talking to her earlier, and she was talking. I was like, "How much are you traveling?" And you do travel quite extensively to get this message out, correct? Absolutely. She was just in Ohio last month, and I'm going to Florida later this month, and love to travel. I'm going to New York this month and Miami, uh, Florida next month. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, well, good. Well, listen, Arlene, I am so glad that you uh, joined us here today and helped us understand how important philanthropy is and how we can incorporate it into our over our financial plan. doesn't matter. As, as you said, from modest means all the way to the wealthy, anywhere in between, we can do that. So I want to thank you again, everyone. 
Matt Houseman, again, I appreciate you guys listening. Hopefully this has been valuable to you. If you have a question, scenario, or something you would like for us to address, please do that at info at smartmoneyquestions.com, or you can simply go to smartmoneyquestions.com. There's a form there and fill it out. If you'd like to schedule an opportunity to talk about this subject or anything else, feel free to go to speakwithmatt.com. And that has my online calendar and we can schedule a time to do that. So thanks again, everyone. Arlene, thank you so much for being here. Matt, it has been a pleasure. Thank you, everyone out there. May your giving be joyous. Great. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good one.